0: Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys podcast. Hi Pacers fans, and welcome into another edition of the Sideline Guys podcast. We're extremely excited to be back to you and back on our regular Wednesday schedule. Last week, if you tuned in, we had JJ and I. A nice conversation with Yoga Vitaze caught up with him and determined how He's getting through what's a new normal for all of us. This week, we've got Chris Denary on the podcast. We'll bring on Chris in just a moment. But, JJ, hope you're still doing well. Hope you're able to find ways to pass the time. Although, with a couple of younger kids, I imagine that you're having maybe more success in that than I am.
1: Although, we just got back from quote-unquote spring break. And so, the last week and a half, we've not had the benefit of e-learning to um, divert our attention and fill in the days and the days the hours. So not as busy the last week and a half, but I will say when we've had nice weather, like we've had the last couple of days, the days do go by quite a bit quicker than they have in other times. So, um, you know, we're doing the best we can. We're getting into a little bit of a routine right now in terms of just, uh, what we do on a daily basis and, and what, what our focus is on back to e-learning now. And so I think that's a nice routine as well, but I will say I'm enjoying some of the replays on Fox sports, Indiana, being able to uh catch up to some of the uh you know finer moments of the season the season that you know we hope is not over we have no idea we don't want to speculate on anything that's happening but um really some great moments up to this point and i've enjoyed watching some of the broadcasts and uh i'm enjoying having Neri on the sideline <laughs> guys podcast today as well chris how are you doing hey i'm doing
2: great guys uh nice to uh get a little break from uh yard work and housework uh uh we've had a lot of fun though the uh, my wife terry and i uh you know you guys know we bought a new house in august and so uh we've done a lot of stuff here you know the last couple of weeks uh, just keeping busy so that every day doesn't seem like the same even though you wake up and you're trying to remember is today monday or tuesday or is it wednesday um but uh, you know no e-learning here in the house um uh, I've gotten very good with uh, Words with Friends, Yahtzee, uh, Scrabble. Uh, Terry and I broke out uh, our, the old backgammon board. and we played Backgammon, board games. nice. Yeah. yeah, board games. And, uh, and the other thing we like to do is we, we watch a lot of HGTV. So uh, we, we've done that. And, uh, you know, fortunately, our three boys are, are all doing well, all spread out. Uh, Evan's in South Carolina. Uh, Wilson and his wife are living in the basement of his in-laws because they sold their house and they're building a house, all that happening here during this, and Max is finishing up his senior year living still in Muncie in a house where they're sequestered with his four roommates, so uh, talk to them, you
0: know, talk to all of them each and every day, and you know, just trying to make the best of it. So Chris, it sounds like if anyone has a game on their phone, they probably... Don't want to play you because it sounds like at this point they would lose to you. I assume, although correct me if I'm wrong, I assume you don't want to give out your handle on those games and have everybody on the Sideline Guys podcast trying to play you. They they can probably find it because I play under Kristen Airy. So um, all right, if, well there's
2: there's if no you mean, if you get inundated with requests, I apologize, but uh, yeah, you, know. if you go to my, my three go-to games are Words with Friends, Yahtzee. And Scrabble, Scrabble, and Yahtzee are made by the same. I mean, Words with Friends is basically Scrabble. Um, right. So I, on some of those, on Words with Friends, I may have seventy-five games going at one time. What? And I, yeah, oh yeah. You, you have I seventy-five mean,
1: people, or are they random? I don't have seventy-five friends. No, there, there,
2: <laughs> uh, there is this one guy that I. I sometimes I I just have to stop. He'll like, he'll have like 10 games going with me. Uh, but that's, that's how I spend times on, on the plane or on the bus during the season, you know, killing time with that. But the other game I've got uh, NBA 2K on my iPad. So I'll play that a little bit. I've got RBI baseball 2020. I just downloaded the new game and I'm thinking about playing the red season. But the other game that I've really played on my iPad, and I try to play 18 holes every day, it's WGT Golf, and um, it's it's really an unbelievable golf game that you know you just use your thumb to, you know, hit the ball, and you know, uh, it's 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 owned by Top Golf, and so I try to play like an 18-hole round every night.
1: So I was fully expecting know, this this conversation was going to deal with strictly. Uh, lawn and gardening and hgtv and your your edging work well and, and here we are talking well, last, about 75 words with game friends at the same time which is unfathomable to me
2: yeah well i mean th- there is plenty of time for yard work and we've enjoyed that as we all know the last couple of days have been nice so you want to get out um uh, but but there there is plenty of time for words with friends and those types <laughs> of things so um yeah. you don't have uh you don't have two K for playstation do you well, Max has the, the PlayStation 4 up in Muncie. I've uh, probably got a PlayStation 3 hanging around the house somewhere, but I just tend to play 2K on my iPad. It's, it's I, not bad. It's, it's pretty good.
1: I feel like we okay. should at least mention Domas Sabonis' 2K game with Montrezl Herald. Did either of you get a chance to watch that?
0: Uh, I watched some of it, and uh, when he started to fall behind, uh, I tuned out. But I'm not exactly sure where Domas is located. Maybe he explained it earlier in the game, but that was a pretty nice backdrop he had going. (laughs) I know. His
1: porch looked nice, and I will say I was surprised that he spent as much time with him on the bench as he did because, I mean, normally it's all he can do for Nate to not get a, a, a stare when he takes Domas out of the game, and there was a significant portion of the time where Domas was not playing, and I could not believe it. He was about as
2: good as I was. Remember a couple of years ago uh, when we started the Pacers 2K, the gaming, and we had that in-house tournament? And I played uh, a guy named Mark that works um, in facilities and and events. And Mark, I swear, was a professional 2K player because (laughs) I was down like 40 to 6 in the first half. And when, when I was watching Domas, it, it brought back memories of how bad I was uh, playing 2K against Mark.
0: I was at least impressed with the fact that, like in 2K, you know, people don't work to the post very often. Although I guess that's kind of like the NBA in a lot of ways. But he has the post moves down, though, pretty well in the video game. Obviously, not quite as well as he does in real life. But I was impressed with his ability to play down there in the post. I, I was going to say, J.J., if you have a PS4, some of the guys in, in the broadcasting division of the league headquarters in New York are actually starting up an online 2K league. So if you can wrangle that PS4 from Max or whatever, uh, you could get in on that. We've got eight so far, and we're hoping to grow it. Oh, we've there's got that a, 2K like, in
1: the house. I, I don't need to take Max's. I can, uh, it's just a question whether I could get on my – my my PS4 with my son playing Fortnite uh, nonstop. Whether I even have any time that I'm allowed to, to participate, but I I'll, I'll get involved. I'm not sure that I would be al- at any better than than Domas is, but I will call for fouls as much as Domas did because every time he shot, he said and won, and I thought I thought that was very similar to what you know the, kind of the way he plays because he always wants those fouls and he doesn't always get them. No, you're right. It was like real life. That
2: part was real life. I mean, we've always said. We've always said that Domas is the human getting fouled machine and never getting the call, and it seemed like that was peeping
1: over to 2K.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) At least the foul not hurt is bad.
0: Well, it's good to see that you guys are doing well during this period. We have really an, an open and unlimited amount of time we can spend here to discuss different Pacers topics. And by the way, we do have or hope to get more players on the Sideline Guys podcast As the weeks go on, we had Goga last week, and our hope is to have at least a player or two more in the coming week. And while we have a free moment this week, JJ, we wanted to take a look and go back a couple of times in this show one bigger picture and one with a little bit more of a narrow focus. Yeah, normally Pat and I have a pick three on every show, and maybe it's the final 10 minutes
1: or so, but by adding Chris as a guest and then also having a little more time to kind of bounce around topics. I thought we could go dual pick three for those horse racing fans. Then you could say it's a pick six, but it's actually two different pick threes, two different topics. And the first one is going to be, what is your most under the radar or under appreciated moment memory of the season? And so maybe you're not allowed to pick Victor Oladipo's three pointer to tie the game against Chicago or the corresponding, Walk off interview. But it can be anything that happened that maybe stood out to you or I or Chris, and maybe not everyone knows about, or they maybe don't put it in their top five list of, you know, best games or moments from the season. It also can be something maybe that happened off the court as well, because some of the times we're able to share some behind the scenes um, memories that that maybe people don't get to see on Fox Sports Indiana or even at the games at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And I'll go ahead and and I'll start with the game. And I'm guessing that if you tried to predict, what moment or game I might come up with, this might be about 63rd or 64th on the list, okay? Uh, It's not one that anyone would like to relive or remember, but there's a specific moment in the game at Toronto when the Pacers lost by you know, an amount of points that I don't even want to remember, but it was Jeremy Lamb when he was injured. And if you think about this, as it happened, it wasn't as memorable as it was maybe the next day when you found out just how badly... Jeremy Lamb was hurt because he went down, and you weren't really sure if maybe he just had you know lost his balance a little bit. It looked scary. He needed help getting up. But my one of the under the radar memorable moments was the fact that Jeremy Lamb went to the free throw line after suffering that devastating injury and made both free throws. And I think that after he made the second free throw and then was helped off off the court, he actually I was standing right in that tunnel, and he declined the use of the wheelchair, which I, you know, immediately you're looking for any positive development or thoughts, and you think, okay, well, he actually didn't need the wheelchair to help him to the locker room. He made those two free throws. Maybe everything's going to be okay. I thought it was, you know, you didn't really think he was going to come back into the game, although that's the reason he shot those free throws, is because in his mind, if he doesn't shoot the free throws and wants to go back in, he would not be able to. So that's the only reason he shot the free throws. You know he's thinking at least about that. The fact that he made both of them, and then we find out how – significant and serious the injury was really later that night and on until the next day. But the courage that he showed, the toughness, and, and just the ability to knock down those two free throws on an otherwise forgettable day and night in the season is something that I thought was worth um, paying tribute to. And if the season resumes, obviously, Jeremy Lamb will not be a part of the team this season, but I don't think we should forget the impact that he made. I really kind of enjoyed getting to know Jeremy and I look forward to following his rehab as well. So that's one that I'm guessing you weren't really picking. It wasn't on your list, but I did want to, uh, to bring that up and share that for my first moment.
0: I think that's a good first moment and I think a good example of perseverance even in a tough memory and I think a lot of people will remember Jeremy Lamb's first season in that way and I mean that positively because when things were really tough for him and when he had his toughest moment his ability to perform in the moment and handle the situation in the way he did is very admirable and my first pick and again we're going for under the radar here, so. Maybe by definition, these are all going to be a little surprising, but I want to go back to October 30th, and that's when the Pacers were in Brooklyn. They were facing the Brooklyn Nets, and they won 118-108. But Indiana, of course, started the year 0-3 this year, and with all of the hype and the excitement coming into the season, those three games that began the season, they felt like three weeks instead of maybe just a week. And if you remember that Detroit game, which I believe was right before the second Detroit game, which was right before, Indiana kind of had it won. It might be a little strong, but Luke Kennard threw in a wild shot. Uh, Derrick Rose threw in a wild shot. A couple of shots that are probably made less than 30% of the time you thought you had that proverbial monkey off your back in that game, and you didn't get it, and then all of a sudden, you're going to Brooklyn, and if you don't get it, you're 0-4. And, you know, in hindsight, had we known that the season was going to turn on its head and that the Pacers were going to go a great run uh, in November and a great run in December, I'm not even sure I was worried at the time, but it would have been nice to have some of that hindsight and to know it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, It just happened to be in the first three games of the season. But to finally get the first win of the season with that group, and and the way it happened, too, uh, four different starters were over 20 points. Lamb, who you were just talking about at 25, uh, Brogdon had 13 assists. All the starters are really good in that game, so my first under-the-radar moment was the first win of the season. All right, my uh, first under-the-radar moment, it's going to be
2: two dates, and they were both in Chicago. Uh, One was on uh, January the 10th, and the other was on March the 6th, and what I'm picking is, uh, you know, I think anybody that listens to Pacers Weekly on Saturday mornings know that my goal is, especially if there's a Friday night game, is to interview a Pacer that was impactful in that game, hopefully a win. And those two games in Chicago, I talked to Jakar Sampson. And I'm not sure that when the season started that I would have thought that on a Saturday morning uh, Pacers Weekly show that I would talk to Jakar Sampson. But Jakar, uh, who was always willing and able uh, through uh, you know, the, the portion of the schedule thus far, was always ready to go. And in those two games in Chicago, he had eight the first night. He had 14 the second night. He was dunking all over the Bulls in a building where a, a year ago he played the final four games for Chicago and averaged 20 points per game. And so it had to be a very special moment twice for him to go back to the United Center in a Pacers uniform and put the hurt on his former team. And it was really cool to be in the locker room after the game talking to Jakar and seeing the big smile on his face uh, with how he was helping his team beat his former team. So that's
1: my first under the radar moment. That's a good one, Chris. And I actually had a Bulls game on my list as well. And I had Jakar Sampson written down as a footnote. But I'm actually going to go in another direction with the second Bulls game, and it was another unlikely hero or just basically performance that you were not expecting. I don't know that on the bus ride to the United Center in my wildest dreams would I have thought that we were going to scrap our entire pregame show and prepare a segment and a discussion on what Brian Bowen would be capable of. And and during the interview, there were a number of guys that were questionable. I remember specifically Doug McDermott, I think, had a foot issue, and then um, TJ Warren was also injured in that game in Milwaukee. He had stitches, and, uh, you know, obviously we had some other issues. I don't even remember. I mean, basically, it was a long list of guys that were injured, and that's why Jakar Sampson was also playing. And so when I was asking him about Nate McMillan before the game in our interview about guys that were available and what he thought, this is after he had already done the uh, hallway interview with the other reporters in which at that time – he did not know if T.J. Warren was going to be able to play. But just my gut feeling was I thought T.J. was going to be able to give it a go. In the basically 90 seconds between talking with the other reporters and conducting the interview for Fox Sports Indiana, one of the trainers gave Nate a thumbs down on T.J. Warren and said he's out. So at least I knew, all right, well, I'm going to have to ask about this. And he said Bowen, but he didn't really say Bowen. He didn't say Brian. And I, I honestly didn't. It was, I think, a combination of Brian and Bowen. And when he said he's going to get the start, like immediately, I didn't even know who he was talking about. It was so sort of off the radar and not what I was thinking of. Okay, if TJ Warren doesn't go, this would be my, my first thought, second, third. Maybe he would have been fourth. I mean, you did think that there was a possibility just because they were shorthanded at that position. And so then I immediately – figured it out and and told you know the producers and Chris all right well we're going to have Brian Bowen get the start and then it's also his final day that he's eligible to be with the team on his two-way contract and I went in the locker room before the game just to kind of get a vibe and see how he was feeling because he played very sparingly with the Pacers all season long and here he was going to start in the NBA and You know, he was pretty calm. He was relaxed. He was smiling. He was happy to do the interview. Jay Michael and I were both standing there kind of asking him questions. But I just – I put myself in his shoes for a minute and thinking, you know, when I was at Ball State and I was the um, at times fifth string quarterback at times fourth string and at the end of the year third string – you know, you went into a game and you kind of always thought, you know, I got to be ready, but I'll be perfectly honest. There were a lot of times that it would have been bad news if I was called into the game because I'm not sure that I really had the game plan ready. And he said that he didn't really know until a short time ago that he was going to be playing, much less starting. And so just a moment like that in an 82 game season, we hope it's an 82 game season, really stands out to me. And and he did not, you know, have player of the game type numbers. I'm not even sure that he scored To be perfectly honest, I don't have the box score in front of me, but he started, he didn't get in the way and the Pacers won the game and he had to go back to Fort Wayne the next day and he kind of had his moment. And so that's one of those times being on the road and just some of the behind the scenes as things happen. Um, It's very memorable and true. It was in the last few weeks, so it is fresh in my mind as well. But the Brian Bowen and Jakar Sampson game in Chicago stand out to me. So good call, Chris. And I wanted to follow up on that.
0: Yeah, he did. You're right. He didn't score, but did have four rebounds, played 15 minutes, and obviously the biggest moment of his career and one of the most memorable moments of his career. I think most guys that have their first career start come under pretty different circumstances, and I think um, if he was doing this exercise, he'd certainly put that in his top three. I'm going to go again with a very under-the-radar type of moment, but I'm going to go late into January. There was a long road trip, which I've pointed this out from time to time on the podcast for those who don't listen every single week. Essentially, I do the road games from our studio downtown in Emmis, and essentially do the exact same job in Emmis. Uh, as I do at home games, I'm just not courtside. I'm not with Chris. I'm not with JJ on the road. And it was this late January trip where you guys were on the road and the Pacers were out West Denver and Portland. And we knew at that point that it was very likely that the Pacers, uh, were going to see Victor Oladipo come back on January 29th against Chicago. I had the benefit of being the only one in Indianapolis, which is a challenge for people like our producer to put this all together. But Victor Oladipo agreed to do an interview with us, and we had – oh, probably a 30-minute sit-down interview with him just a couple days before his return. And, you know, he's almost always a very good interview, but this day Victor Oladipo was at his best. You could tell he hasn't, you know, been inundated by the media over the last year like he typically is as a player. And he was just so remarkably eloquent. He was well-spoken, very perceptive to everything that we were asking. And it was a cool moment personally but I think when that interview got done you know uh, it, it it sort of marked the time frame that you knew that okay this whole past year is about to come to an end and and a lot of that has to do uh, with personal reasons of getting to sit down and, and the opportunity of doing a one-on-one with Victor but He's got a way, when he really wants to, to be a pretty good motivational speaker and talking in a way that you leave the room pumped up. And I certainly did that day. So that is my number two under the radar moment. Um, I don't know if this is... I, I It's going to be an under the radar moment. I, it just came
2: to me, and I hope I'm not stealing it from JJ because I really had nothing to do with this. <laughs> but I still think... The T.J. McConnell mic'd up was. You know, some people might not think it was under the radar, but it was fascinating television. And when he went over to Brett Brown and talked about the couch uh, and the story is, and this is the cool thing, maybe it's under the radar. T.J. is one of those guys that I think all three of us have gotten to know pretty well during the year. And it it is. It's always interesting when you have new players come to your organization. And again, I've been doing this for 14 years now that, you know, when you're around players, as we've been for a number of years, you get to know them. Then you have these new guys come and you're always wondering how you're going to get along with them. Well, TJ's so easy to get along with, whether you're on the bus with him or in the hotel or whatever. And I just think the whole mic'd up situation not just what you watched that night, but what we were able to talk to TJ about, it seemed like for the weeks after that, always talking to him about how that was TV gold when, you know, Brett Brown got a technical foul. And, and the story is, is that when TJ played in Philadelphia and a player would get a technical foul, Brett Brown would always say to that player, well, hey, you, you cost your, you know, significant other a couch. And TJ mic'd up when Brett Brown got that technical foul and and said, Hey, g- g- coach, you you, you you cost yourself a couch. So I, I just thought, I thought that was under the radar that we were able to to use with him off air for the next few weeks. I think he and I talked about that uh, ad nauseum about how cool that was. So that's my number two.
1: Uh, that's good. I, I thought about that. I actually came up with this idea and my, top three, which actually went into four or five lists on my run today around the neighborhood. And so um, that was on my list, but it wasn't in my top three. But I will say, underrated comment from TJ McConnell mic'd up was when he was clapping Right in Ben Simmons's face saying, Let's go Clemson. I think. I don't know. I wasn't (laughs) sure at first if Ben Simmons even knew what he was talking about. And then he went to Mike Scott and said, "Uh, How about your Redskins? You know, it's like it was the perfect game for him to be mic'd up because he knew everything about all of his opposition and no one could really be mad at him. It's not like Ben Simmons could be angry at TJ or, uh, you know, Coach Brown once he figured out the joke. He still wanted to just give him a hug. You, you heard him. He said, thank you. Thank you for everything. It's like he he forgot about the fact that, that TJ was kind of razzing him a little bit. And he he wanted to once again thank him for all he meant to the 76ers. So I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know TJ McConnell. And I can even remember just some backstory on this one. When we had Miles Turner mic'd up, I mean, I, maybe that's underrated at this point because we've talked so much about TJ McConnell. Miles did a really good job in his mic'd up game, and that was a big deal for us for it to go well, because we've been kind of trying to do this for a few years and trying to provide a little more behind the scenes content and it it needed to go well. So we could have future mic'd up games and segments. And so I thought miles was a good choice and he he did a really good job. And then after the fact, David Benner told us, you know, well, we can try it again. And, you know, we had a couple of guys in in our mind that would be good candidates and TJ McConnell was one of them, but I can remember, sitting in the media room where I think we were all there and David walked over and he told Max Linewand, our producer, you're going to get uh next mic'd up. will be TJ McConnell. And we'll do it. The Philadelphia game. And we kind of all looked at each other because we knew it would be TV gold. We we're like, Oh yeah, this'll be good. And it was good. So not my pick three, but I wanted to add some uh, additional perspective onto what, what you had said. My third one. And I, it's, it's, a happy moment but it's also sad at the same times and it, it is also something that's happened very recently but it was the conclusion of the most recent road trip that the Pacers were on we're talking about basically now a month ago which seems like it was about a year ago when the Pacers were in Dallas to take on the Mavericks and so that's the conclusion of at the time of a five-game road trip and the Pacers had a 3 and one record and you know you always talk about trying to be three and two on a road trip. Well, if you get to three and one, you worry about letting up just a little bit and perhaps you don't try as hard or you just kind of feel like you've already accomplished what it is you were you know, setting out to accomplish. And so true, the win and the game and the success against the Dallas Mavericks was outstanding. And I should note that it's a game we will revisit um, in a couple of uh, days here later this week, depending on upon when you're listening to this. We'll see it on Fox Sports Indiana as a replay. But what I wanted to share was something that it's on my Twitter account. I just had to scroll back through and find it. And you can search Miles Turner um, and from March 8th. And you can see some outstanding stories that were done from some of the uh, Dallas television stations. And I believe Scott Agnes and maybe Jay Michael also maybe had something on this. But I took a picture of Miles hugging Amaya Moon, 11-year-old middle school student that not only is battling cancer, but also is being bullied um, down in the Dallas area. And Miles found out about her story and wanted to invite her to a game and spend some time with her and let her know that you know he was in her corner and just provide some positive moments and some smiles. And, and you know, I, I thought – Miles is one of these guys that he doesn't actually do things like this because he wants the attention or he thinks it will look good. In fact, when I asked him about this the day – before at practice, he said, well, I wasn't wasn't really going to talk about it because I, I wasn't doing this for media attention. I wanted to do this for her. But I said, well, then, you know, if that's what you want, we don't have to even bring it up. He said, no, it's OK. And, and he answered some comments. And then um, I watched their interactions a little bit before the game. And that tells you a little bit about who he is. But he's such a genuine person and just such a really good guy. And, you know, at this moment, meant a lot to her. But the other thing that kind of stands out to me is the picture that I just happened to take and share is miles hugging her. And I'm thinking about right now in the world that we're in and, you know, how many times, sometimes I start a post game show with talking about players, hugs, high fives and handshakes. And, uh, you know, I I hope we can get back to a point where we can do this and, and what we're dealing with right now can, can be something that is just a point in our lives that many are going to lose, um, people close with them. I mean, this is, this is a devastating situation, but I I just hope we can get to a point where hugs are okay and we can be um, with fans and miles can have moments like this. But uh, when miles was hugging Amaya moon, it it just kind of struck a chord with me. And it's something I'll never forget. And and looking back at the picture um, from March 8th, uh, just, just a, a great moment in the season. Not great that Amaya was dealing with this, but that miles could lift her up and then it was followed by, an outstanding win against the Mavericks in Dallas. And it was Miles's first time winning a game in Dallas, and he talked a lot about that right after the victory.
0: Yeah, I think that's not only a great pick, but it might fit number one in all of our selections, I think, You put that very well, J.J., and and Miles, too, and just the effort that he did to make all that happen was really, really cool. You know, before I pick mine, I would like to nominate an expanded three-one for you, J.J. Can I nominate something for maybe your number four or number five moment? Yeah, sure. I I might even add another one as well, so you can go right ahead. I I would like to nominate for you the time that on live TV you got your hair cut in Atlanta. (laughs)
1: that's good yeah that that one was a little difficult to pull off Uh, not everyone knows everything that went into that but uh, I had probably as many people comment in the week after that game to me about that as as anything I've done and and then I was soon to be followed up by the Oladipo interview after the Bulls game but uh, that was difficult because we had to try to get the microphone to work to really make that segment happen and I sat up there the entire second quarter where um, in the truck, they just couldn't hear me. And so it really didn't make sense. And then I was like, I'm, we're going to try it one more time. Um, the audio crew at the arena um, were able to try to fine tune some frequency issues that they had and went back up there. And so, yeah, <laughs> that, that was a memorable night. I'd forgotten all about that. It wasn't even on my list. So thanks for bringing that yeah, up. That, so that, you've that got one boring. left. And, you know, I, I tend to bring up a lot of road games because for whatever reason, those stand out to me more because everything I'm doing is focused on the road. And sometimes 41 home games, you know, you can forget some of the details because everything you do is somewhat similar. We have our same dinner meeting. We, you know, I walk to the pregame set at about the same time, all 41 of those games, but each road game is a little different. And so those stand out, but... I can't believe we haven't heard yet about the, the time that you joined us on the road, Pat.
0: <laughs> you know, I was bouncing back and forth, and I knew I would take some flack if I didn't pick it, but I feel like this is kind of like a catch-22 to be picking a top underrated moment that also coincided with just an immense amount of pain for Chris Denary. Yeah, when Chris Denary was just in unbelievable uh, pain, but... Uh, What Jeremiah is talking about was the game against the Knicks. It was a great game. Julius Randle missed a game-tying free throw, essentially, at the buzzer. And it was a Saturday morning. I was in the middle of hosting Pacers Weekly, and our boss, who's also the director of game broadcast, Jamie Birds, he texted me. and, And Jamie is a boss that, as long as you are in line and you're taking care of your business, he's definitely not a micromanager. And he texted me in the middle of the show, and he said, I know you're in the middle of the show, but I need you to call me asap when you get to a break and this is very much not Jamie's MO. So I'm wondering did I say something in the middle of the show that he didn't like? I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So I call him and they say they're taking Chris to the emergency room and and initially I was very worried uh, because he he didn't immediately say why and you know next thing you know they're putting me in contact with the people in St. Louis at Fox Sports Midwest and they were getting me Uh, you know, a flight out to New York. And I'll let Chris follow up and put uh, some context to his side of this as well. But I had to sprint home. I had to shower. I had to get to the airport as quickly as I could. I didn't have any prep done. I was doing my board literally just writing it down on the folder. I essentially use what I call the dumbed down version of Chris's charts because I take his and modify it from my brain. My brain brain does not work at the speed that Chris's does. I'm writing down my board on the plane, playing with Sharpie. I got to the arena a few hours before the game, got to the media room, and there was a moment where, first of all, if it could have happened anywhere, what a cool place Madison Square Garden is on the floor in New York. Quinn Buckner to my right, Clyde Frazier to my left. It was a pinch yourself moment and Chris I'm sorry it had to come in such a painful and tough moment for you to handle but then the game the way the game went too it was tight the whole way it was the very end of a five-game road trip and the Pacers pulled it off they got a missed free throw from Randall at the end and and yeah okay you've convinced me JJ I'll throw that in uh, as number three underrated moment as well
1: <laughs> Chris overrated what, or not
2: uh, What what's amazing about that is I walked into the building literally when Randall was missing that free throw, and I felt as good at that point as I had all day. Um, Now, fast, you know, go backwards uh, probably about 12 hours, and I felt the worst that I had felt all day. So, uh, yeah, that was – and, you know, it was the the second night of a back-to-back, so I hadn't done any prep. Um, You know, it would have been nice if I could have at least handed Pat a little bit of prep, but um, I wouldn't have started prepping until about nine in the morning on Saturday morning. And that's about the time I was heading to the emergency room. So, uh, yeah, I would have to say, no, um, I don't know. It's not underrated. It's not overrated. But it it is very problematic.
0: I appreciate it.
2: I wouldn't want to go through that pain again. All right. So my final one is going to be, um, what is really cool for us, whether we're on the road or we're at Bankers Life Field House, is just to see all the great Pacers fans that there are in Indianapolis, in Indiana, all over the country, and we see so many of them on the road who watch us on League Pass. And I was reminded of it. I'm just I pulled up Twitter here, and you know, on, on a notification. And it was, um, you know, a guy, Dustin Hickman uh, who was in San Antonio and it was a big thrill for him to be on our telecast. And I took a picture with him. So, but what was a cool underrated moment for me? And it was a game we didn't do. We're playing Portland at Bankers Life Fieldhouse and Yu Sakagami is in with his little boy from Japan. And he had been at the game before. And the reason he became a Pacers fan was because of Reggie Miller. And I think we know, guys, that Reggie um, is the reason we have so many Pacers fans across the world. And those fans have stayed with the Pacers, despite Reggie being retired for, you know, 15-plus years. And I was able since we weren't doing the game, is I had told you, I said, you, after the game, I think we'll have a chance for you to just see Reggie, get a picture, whatever. So that hit home with me here in the last day or so because you just celebrated his birthday. And on Facebook, his wife framed the Reggie Miller jersey that Reggie autographed that night for him after the game. And to see the joy in Yu's face when he had a chance to meet Reggie and then Reggie to autograph that uniform and now to see that uniform hanging framed in his house in Japan, it's it's really why we do this. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know that story. I mean, they follow it on Facebook or Twitter. But for me, that is a very underrated moment that a lot of people don't know about. But it's just something where night in, night out, what we do brings a lot of people joy. And I think with what we're going through right now um, with this COVID-19, I think that's what I found when people have reached out to me. That's what they miss. They miss that joy that we're able to bring them on a nightly basis. And so I, I don't take that for granted. And, you know, hopefully sometime soon we'll be able to do that as well.
1: Yeah, that's outstanding. I feel like you need to have a big autograph picture of Tristan Airy hanging right next to that Reggie Miller uh, <laughs> uniform or jersey because of uh, what you were able to do to get that accomplished. But I remember how excited you were that night helping you out and, and honestly, you spend so much time devoting, you know, t- time and resources to coming over each year. Uh, that was a, a pretty cool moment. So we've gone pretty, what, like 30, 40 minutes in our, our pick three here. Uh, I, we probably should do the next one, but maybe we don't have to be as expansive as we were. So the other picture, I wanted to have something on this season and then I wanted to have something where we went back in the past a little bit and, and not necessarily your typical, um, bracket or ranking of best teams and i know a lot of people have been doing that and i do appreciate some of the things that some of the the podcasters and the different bloggers and, and journalists who've been writing about the pacers it's been fun to follow some of the the best teams and the best moments and the different things over the last month because we have more time but right now i want to do a pick three of our favorite pacers from before we held a fox Sports indiana microphone and so for each of us for each of us, this time frame is a little bit different, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad that's currently on the team. And honestly, favorite can be whatever you want it to be. So there, are, there is no right or wrong answer to the question. But maybe a story is required for maybe backing up why you would say this. And so for for Chris, he's going to have to go back what prior to oh six oh seven. That your first year on the on the mic. Yes, oh six, oh seven. And actually you did some locker room interviews before that. So I'm gonna even say at the time you were doing the 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 currently the Pat Boylan job, you're gonna to have to go back prior to that. And I did the same thing that you did and that Pat does at previously while I was working at Fox fifty-nine, maybe in the late two thousands. So I'm gonna go back before that. And anyways, there are very few players, sports personalities now, because of you know the jobs that I've been able to have and experiences where I'm kind of in awe or nervous or thinking, what would I say to this person? And baseball, there's there's one. If I got near Eric Davis, I think right now I wouldn't know what to say because he was sort of my, you know, my childhood idol. I, I love the number 44. He's my favorite baseball player. I've not had the chance to ever talk to him. But if I got near him, I'm not sure what I would do or how I would react. And in basketball, oddly enough, uh, the person that kind of is in that category for me is Detlef Schrempf. He was – Maybe my first favorite pacer, and he had a lot of his best moments as a pacer right before they really started to get really good. So I always felt bad for him because he didn't get to experience some of the success um, that the Pacers did accomplish into the 90s. And and so much of the memorable moments will come from... The mid to late '90s and and the Eastern Conference Finals runs and eventually to the finals. But Detlef shrimp. I had one of those T-shirts where it was the caricature shirt with the the big head and, and the small body. And I wish I still had that shirt because I would be, I would make my son wear it. But uh, Detlef shrimp is just he's the guy that that I immediately kind of gravitated towards at the time that I was um, really you know soaking up Market Square Arena and Pacers basketball. And so I'm just gonna say Detlef is my first favorite Pacer prior to working for Fox Sports Indiana.
0: I think that's a good pick. I'm going to, you know, when I was doing this exercise, I kind of realized just how fortunate i have been in my lifetime, that there are three really different eras of great Pacers teams that were at three different stages of my life. And as you mentioned, some of these guys that were heroes to you as kids, uh, they're larger than life now, even though we get the incredible opportunity to interview the greatest players in the world Right now, I sort of looked at this a little bit similar as the the under-the-radar type topic, and I went under-the-radar for this one as well because, you know, I grew up in the heart of the Reggie Miller era. I grew up in Reggie Miller jerseys and and wanting to go to games at Madison Square Garden to watch Reggie Miller. So by no means am I trying to say this person is better or anywhere near Reggie Miller on my list, but I'm going to go in the underrated topic with Sam Perkins – 1998 to 2000, Sam Perkins, big smooth, the coolest guy on the block. He shot three-pointers without jumping. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I kind of wonder, you know, you look at a guy like him, he probably wishes he was born 20 years later because the type of player that he was would fit really well in the NBA now. And I'm looking at some of his stats. The final three years of his career with the Pacers – He shot 39% from three and was taking over to a game, and that was coming off the bench. That's pretty remarkable for that era and that time. It just didn't happen very often, and I think a guy like he now could probably take four or five per game and be really, really valuable. And I think back to those Pacers teams that he was on that 2000 finals season, and all those teams were so good. Sam Perkins, who came in a little bit later into the picture, he was just such a cool guy on and off the court. I loved him as a kid. He's my first pick. All right, my first pick, he played with Sam Perkins. And this
2: might be a little bit under the radar, too, but he played 96-02. to 02, So before I was involved with Pacers Telecast. But I got to know him a little bit because the Pacers practiced at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, in all those years before Banker's Life Fieldhouse was built. And so back in the late 90s, one of my jobs at Butler as an associate AD is I ran the facility. And so when the Pacers would call and say, hey, we'd like to practice at Hinkle, I would be the one to be there a lot of times and let them in. And so, um, and of course, when there are uh, sons involved, they want to hang out there too. So my first uh, guy that I'm going to bring up is Jalen Rose, who I think was a tremendous jack-of-all-trades player in the NBA, especially for the Pacers. He could handle the ball. He could score. And most of all, I also remember my boys eating birthday cake with him in a locker room at Hinkle Fieldhouse uh, <laughs> during a practice situation. So, Awesome. Um, you know, those guys were so good, you know, back Reggie and Jalen and Mark Jackson. And I just have so many fond memories of those guys um, because they would practice at Hinkle all the time and they took time out. And I, you couldn't do it today. Think of think of Joe Smith, JJ, in these days, if, uh, you know, Evan and Will Denary were trying to eat birthday cake with, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, a different world. You know what I mean?
1: But, it uh, is, but worst. I think Joe would have been understanding, and honestly, if you're we Chris yeah. Denary's kids, I would say you're probably <laughs> relatively harmless,
2: right? Yeah, I mean, you, but, but back in the day, you just didn't have security. I mean, shoot, I right. think I was the security there at, at, at uh, the Hinkle Fieldhouse. <laughs>
0: so
2: I'm going to put Jalen Rose because Jalen was so cool and so embracing to my kids and, and invited them into the locker room to have birthday cake
1: with me. That's a, a very good choice, and I, I'm, the next uh, player that I'm going to pick might represent an entire generation. And I'm going to pick this uh, person because I don't want to neglect to bring up these ABA stars. And obviously, I wasn't born to watch the ABA Pacers, and so I really have have no reason to say that you know I can't sit here and say, "Man, I was always a fan of Mel Daniels, and George McGinnis was my favorite." you can watch them on youtube right now and you can read about what they accomplished and you can give them a lot of credit for what they did along with bobby slick leonard and and basically keeping the franchise in indianapolis but i'm gonna say darnell hillman dr dunk because i can remember basketball cards with darnell hillman on them uh, and i can remember just you know hearing about dr dunk and i can think of the first time that i went to a reading timeout while i was representing Fox fifty nine, and I was going to the schools, and and I thought it was so cool that Doctor Dunk was leading the reading time out. I mean, this is a legend who has accomplished all these things, and now he's working hard setting up bean bags and uh, oversized books to read to first graders. And I didn't realize that he does this virtually every day during the winter. And the way he, the first time I ever saw him to most recently, the last reading timeout that I participated in about a month ago, the way he interacts with the kids, you can't help but know Dr. Dunk and Darnell Hillman and make him immediately one of your favorites. So I never got to watch Dr. Dunk play, but I've seen plenty of highlights on YouTube. And maybe one of the best moments of maybe the last three or four years to me was when they honored Glenn Robinson III with his slam dunk championship trophy. And they gave one surprised... Darnell Hillman, because he never got a trophy for winning his slam dunk contest. And so um, just being able to work, call Dr. Dunk a colleague, a friend, someone that I I look up to and respect, uh, he has to be on this list to me. And I thought it'd be a good way to pay tribute to Dr. Dunk in this way.
0: No, I think that's a great pick. I mentioned earlier, I was born in 1990. Chris has two sons that are pretty close to me in age. And so... They're pretty similar in the way that there are three different eras of Pacers basketball growing up. There's kids' version of us, teenage version of us, and then in college, that version of us, there were three different teams that were going to Eastern Conference finals and and very serious contenders. I bring that up again because part of the reason I picked this guy is because he's in all three eras. He came at the very end of the first era, right around 2000. And then exited really when the Pacers started kicking it into gear in uh, that third era, that most recent run with Paul George and David Ress, uh, Roy Hibbert, and that crew. And it's uh, my pick here is Jeff Foster. And it's amazing that a guy that never averaged more than seven points per game, and he was a great rebounder. But even then, because of the minutes he played, the highest rebounds per game he ever had was 9.1. But just his ability to do all of the dirty work. I'm not sure what the analytics people would look at him now and, and how they would value him and whether he would get enough credit, but the fact that he was a part of those beginning teams that went to the finals in 2000, he was a part of that 4 team that you know really uh, battled with Detroit and really threatened to be the best team in the NBA during that period of time, and then was almost there to hand the torch off to that final era. His final year was 2011-2012 and uh, had, had one really good season with that group as well. I think he's probably the one guy that has been in all three of those different eras. So I'll take Jeff Foster. All right, my number two, and again, these are in no order, but
2: uh, I'm going to go back to the ABA days. He played on two ABA championship teams and then came back and ended his career with the Pacers when they were in the NBA in 80-82. Uh, 80 to 82. And that's George McGinnis. And the reason I picked George is because I, I was able to watch him play. You know, I was probably um, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old when I was able to watch him play in his first stint with the Pacers. And then of course, watching he ended his career uh, when I was in college. But the reason I pick him too is because I got to know him personally And he was also an analyst with me on Butler radio broadcast. And he was also the analyst in the very first television game of my career. Back in 1993, Indiana was at Butler. Uh, We were able to uh, put together a package that put some Butler games on channel four. And so George means a lot to me, not just as a great pacer, not just as a great Hall of Famer, but he is just a great man. And uh, I have always valued his friendship over the years. And, you know, it's really cool. I think, you know, we've all been lucky uh, with what we get to do to watch these great athletes play. But I think getting to know them personally, um, I I think is far more important for all of us. And so that's why I choose uh, Big Mac George McGinnis.
1: Outstanding choice. And I guess we should probably say I said that uh, when, when I pitched this topic, we could not have any repeats. So um, I figured at some point someone would say Reggie Miller and we would have to, to mark him off of our list. But I do feel like this has a little bit of an under the radar tone as well, even though it's not the same topic as our first pick three. So I, I guess I, it goes without saying that you have to include. Reggie Miller. He could be on all of our lists. He is <laughs> Pacers basketball. You mentioned in your story about you, about how he's the reason so many people are Pacers fans. But I, I just figured I needed to pick someone else, but someone from that era. Because if you think about it, I graduated high school in 1996. And so I was a fan of the you know 80s Pacers, early 90s. But then when they got successful and I was in high school, it was a thing for us to basically gather in May and in April and watch playoff games with my friends. And so many times we would come down and I, I'm not even, sh- I'm surprised a little bit that our parents let us do this driving down from Peru, Indiana, but we would drive down just to have dinner um, downtown Indianapolis at night. A game was going on just because of the spectacle of everything. And someone who, you know, was through that entire Time eight seasons with the Pacers, and it's fitting that he is my my choice because he was traded for my number one pick. So Detlef Schrempf goes out. I was devastated. I was not happy. In comes Derek McKee, but Derek McKee is kind of like the glue guy, and so maybe he was the '90s Pacers Thad young different kind of personalities. Probably Thad a little more outspoken. Derek McKee, by all accounts, very quiet. You still see him at games today. I think that's a nice tie to the past where he sits in the corner on the front row and is very visible, even though he doesn't, you know, say a whole lot, but he's there. And so to look at his, you know, basketball reference um, information and see that he came to the Pacers the 1993-94 season at age 27 and stayed until the year after the finals team at age 34. And when they made the finals, it wasn't his best time. He he obviously his best time was probably mid-90s in which he was starting almost every game and and doing a little bit of everything. But I think you can't have a successful championship-level team without a guy like Derek McKee. And he's someone that, unless you watch those games and you might look at his stat line and and say kind of modest, maybe even he was more of a scorer he was during his days with the Supersonics. But he took a lesser role with the Pacers, but he had an important role. And I just think that, um, you know, people talk about – Mark Jackson, and Rick Smits, and Reggie Miller, and the Davis brothers. He's probably someone who gets left out of the conversation so many times that I did not want to leave him out. So I'm going to put Derek McKee in my pick three of favorite Pacers before working for Fox Sports Indiana.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. And I'm kind of keeping this along the theme of under the radar, guys, because I could really just name off all of these uh, mid-90s guys. But I'm going to kind of break the rules here, JJ, because I technically did get to do uh, one year on the air when he was on the team. And uh, he came to this team a few years before I got there. I was there in 2014, 2015. And I thought when he came here, he was so vital to the integrity and the toughness of the team, and that's David West. And it was almost like Jeff Foster, in a lot of ways, left the team to David West as the leader just the toughness he brought the grit he brought the consistency he brought you knew he was going to bring it every night on the floor a little bit like Demontis sabonis not quite the eye-popping numbers uh, but in the same way that you kind of know what you're going to get every night from him i started my first year here in that 14 15 season where paul george spent most of the year with his leg broken and recovering from that and it was david west's final season and he during that time, always gave really insightful interviews. He was always very introspective. And he would answer in a way that, you know, he would give a lot of serious thought to what you were asking. And that's such appreciated as a reporter. So I'm breaking the rules kind of here, JJ. But David West is my pick. All right. Um, my final pick,
2: um, and again, number 31, we could have all pick Reggie Miller. Um, we know what he has meant to this franchise. Um, I, I mean, just unbelievable uh, what Reggie accomplished in his 18 years, um, you know, as a member of the Pacers. And so he's over. He's in a different category, I think, you know, for all of us. And and, and we've put him over there. He, and so we we've each picked. we each are picking three. That's nine. Reggie's sort of number ten. I mean, he he's up there. Um, I'm going to go with Rick Smith, the Dunking Dutchman. Um, and again, it is because of uh, you know a relationship um, that I had through through Rick a little bit through Butler. Um, he helped Butler. Um, he would come to the Butler games, and I remember you know back in the late in the mid mid 90s. Um, He said, you know, Butler could really use a big guy. And he helped Butler recruit a guy named Rolf Van Ryn, who came from the Netherlands and was really Mm -hmm. a key part of Butler's 1997 and 1998 NCAA tournament teams. So for all the great things that Rick did as a part of those great Pacers teams, you know, battling the Knicks. Uh, battling Michael Jordan in the Bulls, and then finally getting to the NBA Finals in 2000. Again, I think back to off the floor and and some of those things that I noticed about Rick and how he embedded himself in the community um, and still has to this day. Um, You know, his son, just uh, uh, Derek, just played at Butler. Uh, His daughter works for Pacers Sports and Entertainment on the basketball side. So I give Rick so much credit for not just what he accomplished on the floor as a pacer, but what he's been able to pass forward in Indianapolis, staying involved in the community and allowing us to see how his kids have, uh, you know, grown up and been a part of the Indianapolis community as well.
1: Outstanding, fellas. Good work. Uh, I think you took those topics and you – uh, you you gave us some really quality answers. Well, thank you, no, JJ.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> this was this was fun. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah, really Chris. appreciate you you having me on and then and giving us you know giving us something to shoot for, and that was a lot of fun to do. JJ, I will give you props because you are a much better podcast
0: producer, not necessarily in terms of uh, editing and and all that kind of thing, but uh, you're very good at thinking of topics like this. And I'll admit, I was. Uh, struggling a little bit to try to find a way
2: uh, to make a podcast work. And, look, I think we probably went uh, close to an hour. I don't have the time, on me. I just hope that uh, – Chris, maybe you just get off the hook here, but I just hope that Eddie Gill is not disappointed that no one picked
1: it. I know. I thought Eddie was for sure going to be on that list. <laughs> well,
2: but my problem is is I think I was – I couldn't select Eddie. because no, you I was, a part okay. of Pacer's, I was a part of Pacers telecast at that point. But I will ah. tell you, and Eddie knows this, Eddie knows this, if Evan Denary would have been a guest on this show, my oldest son, who's 30, number one, number two, and number three would have been Eddie Gill. Eddie wow. Gill is Evan Denary's all-time favorite pacer.
0: I'm not sure I knew
2: that. That's pretty cool. Oh. okay. So, oh, yeah. yeah. But did he we have made birthday
1: cake? Then. Did he did he have cake with Eddie Gill? I mean, I don't know why it wouldn't be. Jay no, Brooks. no, no,
2: no. He didn't. know because Eddie didn't come until the 2000s, and I was gone. I was gone from Butler by then. Okay. So no, he never. Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't think Ed, uh, Evan has ever met Eddie. He's talked to him on the phone, but every time that Evan's in town, you know, from South Carolina, you know, you could
1: probably make it happen.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll make it happen at some point. No question.
1: Well, the one that I didn't you get to, to be say. Reggie. Yeah, exactly. You, you, Reggie. How about Evans and Harry meet Eddie Gill?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That that's that's a layup. I mean, you know, <laughs> making sure that I could get you to meet Reggie. I mean, there, there, you know, you weren't sure that it was possible or it could happen, but Reggie was outstanding, and everybody was great. I think the, the Eddie Gill. That's a layup drill.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> easy. Well,
1: you need to make it happen at some point, if not this season, maybe uh, next season. The one that I did want to say um, that I would uh, almost be uh, would feel bad if I didn't say is someone who maybe is the reason I uh, have this job or a job in broadcasting is Kyle Macy. So he was Mr. You know, anything Kentucky basketball, he was it was Kyle Macy, who's from my hometown, Peru, Indiana. And, uh, you know, there was a job opening in Hazard, Kentucky when I was looking for my first job in 2000. And I thought, well, you know, the worst thing I can do is call Kyle Macy and see if he knows anybody. And he happened to know the GM of the station. And the next thing you know, I was working in Hazard, Kentucky. And so Kyle Macy did play his final NBA season the 1986 1987 season with the Pacers played 76 games and I still I think my dad might still have this an autograph Pacers pennant with Kyle Macy's autograph on it although much like your Eddie Gill story I could probably still get that done if I needed another autograph so I give <laughs> a lot of credit to Kyle Macy uh, pride of Peru Indiana so he wasn't on my pick three but I did need to give him a shout out as well.
0: All right, JJ, we certainly appreciate Chris Denary joining us for this podcast. We're going to be coming to you every Wednesday here as we have officially restarted the Sideline Guys podcast, and hopefully we'll be getting a player or two here in the future. But if not, I know uh, Jeremiah will be able to think about something creative for us to talk about. So for Chris and for JJ, I'm Pat. We'll talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.